Hello and welcome to episode number 90 of the Agro Innovations Podcast, all things related and debated in agriculture. I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This episode of the Agro Innovations Podcast has been released onto our website, agroinnovations.com slash podcast on Monday, May 10th, 2010. This episode of the podcast is the first in a special series entitled the Holistic Management Series, which is sponsored by Holistic Management International. The Holistic Management Series of the Agro-Innovations podcast will be dealing with issues in holistic management, especially issues related to data and documentation and research. This episode of the podcast will also be released concurrently on the Holistic Management website, So I will link to that on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. You can find that at holisticmanagement.org. And there's a lot of great stuff you can find on that website as well. There are forums. There is a blog. There are plenty of YouTube videos. So if you want to learn more about holistic management, then that is the place to go. Holisticmanagement.org. Healthy land, healthy profits. So thank you to Holistic Management for sponsoring this episode of the Agro-Innovations Podcast. The views reflected in this interview only reflect the views of myself and the participant in the interview and do not necessarily reflect the views of Holistic Management International. Today I am joined by Dr. Judy Earle of Holistic Management Australia. Judy is a researcher who provides support to land managers and other holistic management practitioners in Australia. Judy Earle, welcome to the Agro-Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Frank. It's very, very good to be here. Is uh, there anything you wanted to add to that brief uh, biography that I started out with? Uh, Not necessarily, Frank. I I think I'm a bit flattered. Uh, Research is probably not my, my main activity. Most of our workers working directly with farmers and I suppose you could say we do a a, a bit of on-farm research but not specifically um, in the research mold that's the only clarification I think. Well for those who aren't familiar please explain the basics of holistic planned grazing and the rationale behind holistic planned grazing. Well I suppose that for me the 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 most important rationale is, um, is that grazing animals are actually an important tool that can be can be used to improve land condition and most particularly obviously grazing land um, I think it's their capacity to improve land is often still non- un- neglected or uh, less recognized um, and the thing is that if you've if the holistic land grazing it at least provides the basis that you you can use those livestock if you Obviously, have land and livestock to achieve uh, a, a significant change in your in your in your resource base, as you've got uh, described in your holistic goal. Um, and m- the other the other uh, rationale, I think, is that the grazing animals are the only way to truly um, cycle effectively cycle carbon through through the landscape. So uh, they are a really important uh, component of the whole uh, ecological system. Um, in terms of the, the basics, I think that the biggest or the most unique factor of holistic um, planned grazing is that, that it's actually the recovery that's planned, not necessarily the, the grazing side of the equation. So obviously the graze period is determined by the recovery period. Um, 
but it's it's not only just planning recovery for, for the paddock, but it's it's more specifically planning recovery of of the desirable species or the desirable plants that are in a pasture. Um, the other basic premise is that each parcel of land, so each section that you uh, allow livestock access to, um, gets a specific management such that it gets the appropriate recovery and graze time relative to every other area of the paddock or pasture uh, or or the whole area that's being managed. Um, and finally, I suppose that the basis of that whole planning process is that um, planning the movement of livestock um, can really enhance land conditions. So it, it really is about, um, I, I, I think it, the practice actually increases the awareness and the whole um, um, people that are actually doing it become much more aware. So it's as much a, a change for the, uh, for the land manager as it is for, for animals very often when people adopt holistic planned grazing and, and it's that increasing awareness of the, that relationship between the, the soil, the plant and the animal that um, basically leads to, to any change in, uh, in the land condition because as, as the manager becomes aware and is more uh, is looking uh, at those changes that are happening in the landscape, then they're more able to adapt appropriately to the to the environmental cues. But it's a it's a total dependence really on um, on that on that relationship. Um, the the soil and the plants are just as important um, for the animal's health as the animal is to the soil and the ha plant health. Now let's talk a little bit about recovery periods because mm -hmm. that was one of the first things that you mentioned and that was one of the things that you mentioned is very actively managed through the use of holistic plant grazing. Uh, what exactly do you mean by recovery period? Some people might not be entirely familiar with that. Yeah, well, I, I think that probably the, the easiest thing for, for people to look for in terms of a recovery period uh, um, or in determining the appropriate recovery period is um, observe or identify a plant that has, has been um, significantly grazed or you know, had, had a lot of the, um, the, the leaf area removed and just monitor how long it takes for, for that plant to regenerate leaf. So uh, different plants obviously have different ideal heights but um, the time that it takes to regenerate leaf such that the plant is almost ready even to, um, to put up a, uh, a flowering seed um it's it's a it's a really difficult one because because different plants recover differently and and ha actually have different growth forms but um if you can observe the, a plant before grazing and then and then post grazing as long as as long as the plant is actually recovered before adequately before it's it's been grazed um but the other thing is that there's a time lag between or a following uh, once the the leaf area is regenerated it, it takes a, a number of weeks and again it's it's a bit species dependent and and there's not a lot of work done on it but it does take a number of weeks for the plant roots to regenerate following um, the regeneration or the full regeneration of the leaf area so it's really very critical to um, to be watching. Um, and and judging that that recovery period, but it really the main thing is that um, the plant has got maximum capacity to capture that sunlight energy um, before it's grazed again or rebitten. Now, many research scientists view some of these things as uh, 
unproven, especially some of the fundamental premises of holistic plant grazing. Can you give us your perspective on the nature of this controversy and talk about some of its causes? Yeah, sure, Frank. It's it's really quite interesting. Um, as I was doing my uh, my thesis, um, I was researching lots of aspects of of holistic management, and there's no there's no component of of holistic management that received more attention from from researchers than the uh, the planned grazing. Um, and I think the the basic um, issue lies in the fact that that research scientists tends Generally, tend toward a reduction, a reductionist approach. Um, the whole basis is to control as, as many variables as they possibly can, so that they can accurately quantify the effect of other variables. Um, and the difficulty of actually researching planned grazing is um, because the decisions are made towards individuals' holistic goals, um, and the best best land managers actually are constantly responding to those uh, environmental cues regarding uh, recovery period and, and regrowth rates of plants so that they are adapting their management to either um, speed up the movement of livestock or slow it down depending on um, the rate of growth of, of plants. So they're making decisions on a daily basis in terms of their grazing environment and uh, that Accounting for that environmental variability and the level of response uh, that is required to successfully manage a, a holistic planned grazing regime um, is not something that you can factor into a conventional scientific research program. So you find most of the most of the research is um, done on fairly regimented rotational grazing systems, um, which are relatively inflexible um, so that um, different variables can be um, compared and, and analysed. Um, but the thing is with, with nature and, and natural cycles are dynamic and they're constantly changing and the beauty of the holistic management process is that it provides that framework to, to deal with that variability with confidence towards what you define as your holistic goal. So, you know, <laughs> at Holistic grazing planning doesn't really fit a very neat research model, so um, it's it's about proactive management and and response, considering the whole. Um, whereas, you know, the researchers generally like nice, tight, um, controlled environments as much as possible. Um, in my experience, where where researchers have really tried to uh, replicate uh, grazing management, um, I, I think they. We could, I can safely say it's been uh, been a, a failure on most occasions. And research scientists are not very good grazing managers, um, and they, they don't uh, deal very well with the complexities. I mean, on a personal level, they may do, but uh, on a scientific level, I don't think that that they're well equipped to to deal and factor in uh, all the complexities of of nature's uh, nature. And um, very often, the the way that they deal with that is by having Integrated science project projects, um, you know, where they have a number of of people involved from different fields, but that leads to management by committee, and in many cases, and and that doesn't tend to work either. You need to have somebody, you know, to be effective and to have create a a, um, a successful environment and lead to positive change. You need to be making those decisions on a day to day basis, and 
it's not really conducive to a, a research environment, I don't think. <laughs> it's a long-winded way of addressing, but uh, hopefully it answers the question, Frank. Well, it it does answer the question, and I've been involved in this for a little while now myself, and I think that your your assessment is essentially correct. However, it's it's kind of an unsatisfactory conclusion to reach in some ways because, I mean, different researchers in different areas, you know, apart from range science or, uh, you know, animal science or any of those areas, mm. have found creative ways to deal with some of their problems. And it seems like, I'm just wondering what, what the holdup on that is. I mean, where, where's the bottleneck? Why is it that there hasn't been some more creative solutions applied? You know, there's there's a few people doing it, like uh, Dr. Richard Teague, who's really engaging practitioners uh, very directly. But yeah. he seems to be the exception of the rule. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I'm, to me, it's the, um, the, the basis of it is that Every action within a, a, a holistic manager's um, whole, if, if you like, is, is really down to, to making decisions towards their individual holistic goal. So in that sense, uh, holistic management is a very personal practice and, and a personal um, activity, if you like. Um, I think that there, there is plenty of things that uh, researchers can do to, to research elements of holistic planned grazing, but by by the very nature of extracting those elements, then it basically you're not looking at the whole again. So so it's a little bit antagonistic uh, in in that sense. And um, um, I, I'm not quite sure what the what the solution is. Um, but I'd suggest that the the primary cause of that difficulty, of of that um, problem, um, in research scientists being not able to access successfully. Um, Prove or replicate um, planned grazing is that it is a, an intensely personal thing. So um, people will have different um, goals and objectives within uh, what they're trying to create, as specified in their holistic goal. Okay, but some, uh, you know, a lot of the aspects of holistic management aren't all that controversial. I mean, the concept no, of, exactly. of yeah. forming a holistic goal uh, that the entire uh, group of stakeholders can buy into and, and believe in, that's, I mean, the, the holistic goals are all different, but the, that's not really all that controversial. So it seems like some of these descriptions of animal behavior and how animals actually impact the land are some of the sticking points. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, what? Let's talk about stocking rate and stocking density. Sure, Why is it sure. important for people to understand the difference between stocking rate and do stocking density when it comes to managing livestock? Yeah, the uh, well, stocking rate um, is a is a measure of the, the number of animals over a, over a whole area, and and generally here we refer to um, either over a paddock for a period of time or, or a whole farm, and it's generally, as I said, specified um, over a specific period of time. So. You can have a stocking rate on any one day, uh, or an annual average stocking rate that's calculated over over a year, 365 days. Stock density is generally a measure of the stock that's uh, that that are allocated to an area for a day. Um, 
there are any number of, of measurements of livestock units, um, whether they be livestock units, standard animal units. The um, the measure that um, is preferred in Australia, and, and I certainly prefer to use, is uh, what we call dry sheep equivalents. And it's an unfortunate term, but um, it's got little to do with, with sheep, actually. It's much more related to an animal's energy requirement. But it's the... Um, it's a very convenient currency. The basis is that, that one uh, dry sheep or a weather male adult sheep consumes one kilogram of dry matter each day just to maintain its body weight. So it's a really convenient currency that, that one DSE uh, consumes one kilogram of dry matter. Um, and so all other animals are um, uh Basically converted um, to to that currency of of one DS or of DSE per hectare. Um, so essentially, you're looking at a stocking rate being very often a long term measure of the carrying or the, a measure of the long term carrying capacity of the land. But the stock density, and I think this sort of comes to the issue um, of uh, the research. And I, I think again, it's not something that is recognised when you when you use such a a, um, a basic currency is one kilogram of dry matter per DSE. The stock density then becomes a measure of how much herbage mass is harvested by livestock from an area each day. So it's a measure not only of the of the biomass of animal that's that's on an area of land, but it's also a measure of how much they're harvesting. Because based on their nutritional requirements, you can very accurately uh, calculate then how long they need to be on that land. So whether or not you're aiming to leave a, a large amount of, of herbage residual or herbage mass residual or whether you want to get it down to a specific level and you can then take very specific control over how long animals are, are in an, an area. But um, by you, by actually using stock density uh, as, a, as a tool, you can... You can effectively use the animals to structure the vegetation using either low density grazing or high density grazing. But um, I suppose in the in the way that I've just defined, rather than being a measure of, of biomass of, of livestock, it's it's a measure of how much animals are harvesting from an area. And then it allows you to use the grazing animals to very effectively change the environment. And it, it astounds me how many people here, uh, researchers included, uh, and, and many grazers that didn't realise one DSE or still probably don't realise that, that one DSE consumes one kilogram of dry matter per day to maintain its body weight. One of the important factors in holistic plant grazing is to actually go out on the land and try to get a good estimate of how many how many DSEs or animal days per acre you have, so that yes. your you know your animals are on a certain tract of land for the amount of time that that land can support them. Yes. So, I also want to talk about animal behavior because I think this is an important uh, premise of holistic planned grazing. Now, S. J. McNaughton, who is a behavioral ecologist and has looked a lot at uh, grazing herbivores. He wrote a paper called Grazing Lawns, Animals in Herds, Plant Form, and Coevolution. Now, I know you haven't read this paper, uh, but 
I, I think that uh, some of the things he says in there kind of get us to the point. And one of the things he says is that uh, grazing animals are gregarious in nature. They're social animals. And he has observed how these behavioral characteristics of these animals actually can impact the evolution of grass species and even the geometry of a grassland or a rangeland. So advocates for holistic plant grazing have argued that managing variables like stocking density allow livestock managers to mimic behavioral characteristics that we in fact observe in nature, as we can see uh, by the research of folks like McNaughton. So it seems logical that a tool like holistic plant grazing that allows us to manage uh, animal behavior and induce what um, is often referred to as herd effect, it, that, that uh, this is something that should be applied, although not everyone sees it exactly this way. What are your thoughts and where do you fall in on this debate? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, Frank. I, I, I am familiar with other papers that um, uh, McNaughton has, has written and, and recognized that he's based in, in, uh, in Africa in various areas. Um, unfortunately, I'm not familiar with that specific paper, but um, I think it is it is an interesting one. It's it's one of those things. I mean, aside from from the fact that that different people will have different um, goals when they're actually you know putting animals into an area at any time, I think we assume that we create these systems for domesticated um, animals, livestock. And that they'll behave as they as they did in nature, but I think um, you know over um, a period of evolution, um, we we actually you know by by changing the way that that um, they are they are managed uh, under our direction, I suppose we actually you know don't necessarily get the uh, the same response as you would get from a, from a wild herd. I think um, you know when we modify their environment, we modify all all sorts of things uh, in relation to to their be behavior and um, as you, as is mentioned the, the gregariousness that they exhibit um, in a in a natural herd so I think that uh, it's it's always a nice ideal to to um, be trying trying to mimic nature as best we can but I don't know that it's uh, the reality when we're using domesticated livestock that have been and livestock that have been domesticated for for many years to actually try and effectively repeat that. Having said that, um, I think that there are actions and activities that that uh, are within our capability of of land and livestock managers to to try and um, simulate. But um, I I think that. Um, Trying to to mimic those natural characteristics um, is very often not achievable for for many people. I'm not saying that it's not achievable achievable at all, but but certainly I don't um, don't see many uh, mobs of domestic livestock, regardless of the density that they're they're grazing at, that um, behave um, as a wild herd would behave. And I, I think too, uh, very often when you're getting up to those sorts of of stock densities that you see in nature, um, there are no fences around, uh, you know, within within miles. So, uh, so just having the having the fences there, even even though they are at, at high density, will change the the uh, reaction and the behaviour of those livestock. But you know, it really comes down to 
uh, as I said, the it, the holistic goal and 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 the planned the the holistic planned grazing activity is is such a personal thing um, that um, it really essentially provides the the blueprint or at least the the resource based description provides the blueprint for what they want to achieve and so um, if the if the livestock are part of that that whole and um, people really work towards trying to mimic those behavioural characteristics and trying to achieve that uh, from their livestock, then um, then it's more likely that it will work very effectively for them. But um, but others will have relatively less success. You know, it's um, it's one of those interesting things. You see people um, or two people trying essentially the same thing, and um, they have very different outcomes in terms of the, the results on the land um, or, or with the livestock for that matter. You know, I think um, it comes back a lot to the, the capability of the individual that is that is managing and um, how creative they are to, to make what they, they want to happen on their land and with their livestock actually eventuate. So. Okay, but some people, the, the people who do manage um, larger herds and do try to maybe mimic some of these more uh, gregarious behaviors that are observed in um, herd animals, they swear by it. And so I'm wondering, what is it exactly that they're swearing by? I mean, what what is the effect that they're looking for? If if someone is managing holistically to try to achieve a certain result, what would the result that one would try to achieve by managing this way be? Yeah, again, I'm I'm not exactly sure of the the densities that are being um, spoken about. Um, I can only presume that they're they're very high densities, um, and potentially as well um, looking for actually creating that uh, that herd effect and and impact. So actually disturbing, creating some disturbance on um, on relatively bare exposed soil um, to create the conditions for establishment of plants, um, adding manure, that, that sort of thing. Uh, so you can you can very effectively create the environment that looks like a, a plough has been through an area with, with high density. And if animals are not moving sufficiently, then um, again, it's, it's easy enough to induce that movement um, You know, with some uh, commonly here sheepdogs or whatever are used, um, or, or just you know, basically creating movement in that line, in that mob. Um, we don't, at least in this area of Australia, we don't tend to, uh, or that that herd effect is not such a, uh, a a critical thing. We we tend to have a high level of ground cover, and so I'm not familiar with um, with so many people actually using those those really large um, stock densities to create impact. I, I know that uh, it's an extraordinarily powerful tool out west as we get uh, into more brittle environments but um, and I think uh, that's the the other aspect of uh, of the stock density is um, we can we can often get to, to very high levels of stock density but it's more about actually harvesting adequate and rationing uh, the amount of, uh, of feed that is being harvested by the mob rather than actually really affecting a, a large amount of, um, of impact um, in, in this particular environment, but um, different environments, have, you know, people will have different different goals. So, so um, I'm not really familiar. Uh, don't have a lot of experience, um, Frank, with with that sort of um, 
type of management where where uh, you're really trying to encourage that that um, activity with the animals and and creating that impact. Obviously, I've seen it on a few occasions, but um, and I, I've no doubt that it's very effective as well. But I think it comes back to um, you know what what works in in your environment and and actually um, um, going with that because obviously you know anybody that that, that swears by by their actions um, has, has has got a lot of confidence and uh, and seen the benefits I, I imagine. Well, I, I, and I think that's one of the um, areas where a lot more work needs to be done because we don't always know how different ecosystems are going to respond to different types of management practices or different stimulus. So, well, that's exactly, and that's that's uh, again the the whole um, premise of uh, of holistic management is uh, to assume you could be wrong and uh, be monitoring to. Uh, to observe which direction the the landscape goes, and I, as I said, I've seen people um, try essentially the same uh, or the application of the same tool um, on uh, in similar areas on different different patches of ground and come up with very very different results. So I think the the um, not only the environment at the time, but the environment and the um, the series of events that follow any action are very important in in dictating the result but but certainly you know that's an area that um, that uh, is an opportunity for enormous research well you have done some research on grazing uh, mixed species herds and you found some areas where statistically uh, statistically significant differences do exist tell us about your research and what you've discovered in regards to grass species utilization and holistic plant grazing yeah, the the, um, the the mixed species part of the the research was uh, sort of incidental. I think Frank, um, mo- most of the graziers here on the northern tablelands of of New South Wales run sheep and cattle together, so um, that wasn't really a, a specific focus of of the research. But um, one of the most important, um, I, I suppose, outcomes uh, that that uh, we found from a, a research program that um, um, myself and my uh, business partner conducted um, Lewis, that's Lewis Kahn from um, the UNE um, in uh, 2004. Uh, we looked at um, 40 sites across this region under all types of management and soil type and um, measured any number of vegetation and soil um, productivity measures. Uh, and the most significant variable that uh, we identified was that was the manager. But... Um, and it comes back again to the uh, the difficulty of of researching um, based on um, effectively monitoring and measuring day to day management decisions. But um, the most significant uh, result that we found from from that particular um, research project was the importance of of managing utilisation. So the utilisation being defined as the, the proportion of what grows in a 12-month period, or sorry, in any period, but the proportion of growth that is actually consumed by livestock. So um, actually managing so that you're actu- actually leaving a, uh, a reasonable proportion of the, the growth in any season behind to basically feed into the soil system and support the um, the uh, the soil biota um, 
and the, the whole soil system building uh, carbon, building organic matter and humus uh, in the in the soil, and that was uh, quite a surprise. So, um, and it seems that um, the the magic number is uh, in this environment is about 60%. So um, once you go over 60% utilisation, then um, um, productivity will decline. So it's a it's a really um, a critical measure in terms of um, maintaining uh, productivity of the rangeland of pastures um, and and balancing animal production. Obviously, uh, as as the production of herbage mass declines, then the utilisation needs to also decline. So that it's a matter of actually. Um, in many cases, stepping back to actually start to to build capacity in the um, in the environment by uh, increasing um, increasing herbage mass. Um, as part of my my thesis many years ago, I was looking at um, uh, different elements of um, of pastures and um, and soil characteristics, and the most notable change that um, uh, or the, the most statistically significant change that occurred was uh, an increase in the basal diameter of desirable pasture species in um, in every instance. So I, I actually selected a range of indicators or a number of indicator species that ranged from the more desirable to the less desirable end of the, the spectrum at each site. And in every instance, the uh, um, more desirable species actually increased the, the size of the base of the of the plant um, ground cover was the other thing that seems to be universal um, in terms of uh, increasing when uh, management shifts to holistic planned grazing uh, and the other the other thing which also surprised is the um, the rate of change in soil conditions um, most notably or the, at least the uh, the factor or the characteristic that um, I've been measuring most frequently was um, soil water infiltration rate. So, actually measuring the uh, the rate of infiltration of um, of water into the soil. And we did a, or actually, actually we didn't do the trial in South Australia. That was done by by another um, uh, researcher that was contracted to look at the soils. We were looking at the vegetation, but uh, at the at a site in South Australia, after two years of uh, of planned grazing. Um, there was a ninefold increase in the infiltration rate um, at that site compared to uh, the start, the outset, and uh, within four years that had increased to nineteenfold um, increase. So uh, that those sites were were part of um, all part of one paddock at the at the outset. were subdivided and uh, different grazing management uh, regimes applied, and to get that extent of change in soil characteristics uh, I think was quite phenomenal. Um, certainly all the research that I've done locally here on the Northern Tablelands has indicated an increase in uh, in soil water infiltration um, under planned grazing but, but uh, generally the increase is sort of in the order of 20 to 30 percent not um, not 20 fold increases. So. Um, Generally, the, the vegetation seems to be slower to respond. Um, I think um, the, uh, one of the observations that I had was that the, the diversity doesn't necessarily increase enormously, but uh, you get a much more even spread of, um, of species across 
um, an area. But um, the the changes in the uh, in the soils are, are very or can potentially be very rapid. Um, just I think it it comes down to um, increasing the the vigor and the health of the perennial grasses that are present. Um, they develop a much greater, uh, much more vigorous root system, which adds to the biology, supporting the biology and increasing the porosity of the soils. And from there, um, other other changes um, relatively happen much faster. Yeah, well, one of the things when I when I first uh, met you and saw you present some of these results, one of the things that you helped me to understand was, and one of the realizations that you had as you did some of the re- some of this research and saw some of these results, was that it was holistic plant grazing and holistic management that made this level of management and control possible for the livestock managers. Can you talk? Oh, can you talk a little yeah. bit about that and and how you came to that realization? Yeah, it it um that's again i i can't see uh i've never come across any other um method for managing livestock other than through uh holistic plant grazing that that gives you the the level of control i, I think subsequently there is uh there are um other systems that um that have uh, come into being i think since even uh, that presentation a few years ago frank but um but it it actually is, is a process that that gives you control as much control as as a land manager can possibly exert because um, it inf- informs decisions i suppose as as the um, the land manager becomes more adept at um, at uh, picking up on those environmental cues and um, observes increased pasture growth and um, uh, can respond adequately um, and and in a timely fashion. It's those, those that ability to to respond relatively quickly to um, you know increased pasture growth rate or or slowing pasture growth rate that really gives the manager uh, you know a huge advantage um, just by being able to adapt to the current conditions or you know whatever environmental conditions are occurring uh, so effectively. Um, you're always looking to um, to see what's going on with with plant growth and which plants are are responding uh, relatively faster or slower than others. Um, so you're aware of the the different growth cycles of species in the pasture. Um, you're aware of um, you know what animals are, are harvesting and and the condition of those animals and um, um, you know what they're likely to be doing in terms of of production, but but also in terms of their impact on the land. So you you start to see, you know, if if areas are um, are being relatively over or underutilized, you know, within the paddock relative to other areas um, within the area. So it it just um, provides the land manager with so many tools to uh, and and so many cues to to form in, uh, to. To develop informed decisions based on um, on what's going on, not only with the land but also with the livestock, and uh, it's so empowering, you know, when 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 you know that animals are in that pa- when animals are in an area of your property for you know a very specific reason, and and they're doing a specific job for you in that area, 
as well as hopefully um, being productive and uh, gaining weight or raising calves or uh, or things along those lines that that ultimately will um, will put money in the pocket at the end of the day and go towards the profitability of the enterprise. But but um, using the grazing plan, you can also make uh, informed decisions um, regarding development and um, and further subdivision and you know how to better use and more effectively use other other areas of the property. Well, holistic management practitioners, based on what you're telling me and also based on what I've seen, have made really fantastic strides on the ground in managing many of the variables that you're talking about exactly in the way that you're talking about through a combination of observation, uh, training, and hands-on experience. Based on what both practitioners and researchers have told me, there seems to be a widening gap between the best practitioners and the research scientists. What do you think we can do and should do to close this gap? Yeah, it's um, it's an it's a, a bit um, revisiting the, the same issue uh, that I mentioned before. It's um, it's uh, it it is very difficult to to replicate people's individuals' holistic goals, um, and I think. Again, because of the researchers, um, basically the, the basic premises, um, or the, they, they start with basic presumptions, um, um, and again, a lot of the research that I saw early, at least, um, started with the the, uh, the basis of, of doubling the stocking rate at the outset, um, and then monitoring from there. And I, I think it's always dangerous when you when you start with those preconceptions, and and I'm not quite sure whether whether um, that's been been reco- recovered from, but you know the the, the basic in, in any grazing management, um, um, whether it's a practical on ground you know production system or uh, you know research science, it's it's always uh, critical to start with matching the stocking rate to carrying capacity, and uh, of course that's going to change. Seasonally and annually, and um, as our environment becomes more variable here, um, it's, it's it's starting to change much more rapidly than seasonally. And um, um, I think one of the other one of the other um, issues with um, with scientists often uh, you get a, a data set and uh, you get one or two points that are significant outliers. Generally, um, the, the scientists tends to, tends to ignore or discount those those outliers um and I think a, a feature of um of many holistic managers is that they they observe those those really out there um uh, outlier type changes if you like and then they work to 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 try and replicate them and I think that's a, a significant difference um between um, the the modus operandi of uh, of the researcher and the and the holistic manager that they they see those uh, those dramatic changes that that occur rarely and and really actively try and replicate them, um, whereas the, uh, the the researcher and the scientist often uh, often will uh, try and ignore or discount those those outliers. And I think I think the other thing too, um, you know, with with research science, uh, the the, the basic premise is that you, you start with an, a null hy- hypothesis. You start with the premise that that uh, what you're going to um, what you're going to generate it will 
basically uh, be, be no different um, by, by applying the different different treatments or um, different um, not different treatments basically. Whereas with with holistic management, um, essentially they're they're testing decisions and and monitoring to ensure that that they're always moving towards their holistic goal. So so you've you've got this constant adaptation to achieve a desired result. Um, so again, I, d- I don't know that it actually addresses the issue of of closing the gap, but I I, I think that um, um, again it, it's it's not um, an ideal scenario to to apply a, a research model to. Um, not to say that it, it can't be done, but um, um, in in a pure scientific uh, experiment trial, there's not a lot of room to move to uh, to adequately account for observation and experience. Uh, and in terms of the land manager, um, there, there's nothing more important than um, than observation and experience. Um, but um, it's there. There is definitely a role for for research in, in analysing the the impact and the effect of stock density or herd impact, um, or you know other components of the of the holistic management model. But um, it, it's not necessarily going to be um, research of of holistic management as a process or, or the the holistic framework. And I I think that you know it's it's so important that. Uh, you know, when we think of holistic management, it is it, it is as far as possible. You know, taking in the whole and and all of the all of the variables that go go with that. And and no scientific experiment can really account for all of those variables. And and nor necessarily should it try. I don't think. Um, but I, I I still think that there's there is potential. Um, you know, if the researcher can understand where the the land manager is coming from. I, I think it's very difficult to try and replicate those things and, and call it holistic management on a on a research plot. Um, but working with land managers, I think that there is potential to to find a happy medium. And and if the researcher understands the holistic goal, um, you know, there, there can certainly be replication of treatments you know, within the same plot. But it, it takes a lot of resources to do trials such as that. Well, Judy Earl, as always, when I talk to you, uh, you've given me a lot to think about, and I think hopefully the people that are listening to this have uh, been given a lot to think about as well. I'd like to thank you for joining me today, and I'd like to thank you for the great work and research that you've done, and uh, I hope that you will continue to do this great work now and into the future. Thank you very much, Frank. It's been a pleasure and very enjoyable speaking with you this morning or afternoon as it is um, I look forward to keeping in touch thank you very much Frank that concludes my interview with Dr. Judy Earl of Holistic Management International Australia I will also link in the show notes to this episode of the podcast to Holistic Management International Australia's website so you can go through and check out some of the work they are doing down under and Remember that this is the first in a series entitled the Holistic Management Series of the Agro-Innovations Podcast. It will be released concurrently on the Agro-Innovations website and the Holistic Management International website. You can find the Holistic Management International website. It will be linked to 
on the show notes for this episode of the Agro Innovations Podcast. And also, if you just want to type it into your web browser, it is holisticmanagement.org. And there are a lot of great tools on that website that you can use. Uh, there are forums where you can talk about holistic management with others, uh, especially practitioners and certified educators. There is a data and documentation blog where I myself am blogging, and I will link to that as well on the show notes to this episode. So I would encourage you all to go check that out if you haven't done so already. That's holisticmanagement.org. Holistic Management, Healthy Land, Healthy Profits. And the Holistic Management series of the Agro Innovations podcast will be ongoing over the next several months. You can expect about eight episodes of the podcast will be dealing with issues related to holistic management. So stay tuned for that. Um, I will identify each episode that is in the Holistic Management series as such. And there is also a category on the Agro Innovations podcast page titled Holistic Management. So if you wanted to pull up all of the episodes, you could do that by clicking on that link. Now, holistic management, like Agro Innovations, is on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, and you can find links to those social networking sites on the front page for Holistic Management International. They also have a blog that I would encourage you to check out if you're looking to uh, get some up-to-date information on what's going on at Holistic Management International. This is a reminder that this and all episodes of the Agro Innovations podcast are released under a Creative Commons attribution share-alike 3.0 license. To learn more about that, you can visit creativecommons.org. Until next time, I'm your host, Frank Aragona. This is the Agro Innovations podcast. Saludos. Saludos.